listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. All right. Last week was kind of the end of an era in our story of 1 Samuel Last week we saw the reign of King Saul tragically come to an end by his committing suicide instead of being captured and tortured on the battlefield. Saul was the king that Israel said they always wanted. A warrior, handsome, powerful, yet in the eyes of God, and later in the eyes of the people, he turns out to be a big disappointment. This week we're going to see David, who has already been anointed, Israel's next king, we're going to see him rising to power. Will he be a better king than Saul? Uh, should we get our hopes up with all the promises around David? Or will he continue to disappoint us and disappoint God's people and by being corrupted by power? Which happens so much in positions of leadership. So today, look, uh, let's start by looking at David, the king, the next leader after Saul. So. Uh, we're going to read our first paragraph here. We'll read the other ones later. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Samuel 5, various verses throughout there, and we're going to start there in the first paragraph. We will hit these other paragraphs as we go through the sermon. It says this, 5.1 says, that all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are, bone, we are your bone and flesh. In times of past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you will be the shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be the prince of Israel. And all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. This is the word of the Lord. <coughs> Thanks be to God. I think that help us uh, to understand more about not just what you look for in a leader, but to manage our expectations of what we look for in leaders. But most of all, show our hearts in this as we are exposed through your word and encouraged by your word today. Uh, give us an understanding of what you're doing in the world uh, through whatever leaders might be, but most of all, that we look to you as a true leader and savior of ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. So, some of you have probably heard of him. In the ancient world, one of the most celebrated people in the history of the world was a, was a young student of Aristotle, who was a student of Plato, who was a student of Socrates, and his name was Alexander. He was a king of a son of King Philip of Macedonius, and he was one of the most famous students in the world because of that. He was from a long line of the best teachers in the world, but he became a warrior. And uh, as we all know, he is known for his military conquests, he's known for all the things that he, he aided in scientific advancement, he promoted cultural unity, he took over the whole known world at the time. And this is why we call him Alexander the Great. But as great as Alexander was, King David may deserve the title 
of the great even more. See, David is seen as the king of Israel, and his reign was so fantastic that the very kingdom of God was associated with it all the way until the time of Jesus. And Jesus' um, kingdom and his throne is related back to David. David ushered in what is called the golden age of Israel. He is distinguished as a warrior. He defeated Goliath, as we've already seen, as a youth. He expanded Israel's borders to the widest point. David was also known as Israel's poet and musician. If you remember back, he was a musician. He was, a, he was a, uh, also a, a songwriter. He was a composer. His songs, uh, what we call the Book of Psalms, has stayed with us uh, for, for generations and is still used in churches today in our, in our music. Of all Israel's king, David was the most faithful, when you look at it, in obeying God. David seems to do everything in great proportions. So this sets up the reign of David that we have now. Look at the quote that we have at the uh, beginning of order of worship, or you can just listen to it either one. It says this, at the beginning of the narrative of First and Second Samuel, David appeared, he came on the scene, as the youngest of eight sons, a nobody to whom God, what power was given. Now David is fully established in power and prestige. God's promises have been kept and his enemies have been overcome. So now what? What's this going to look like with David rising to power and coming to king at the very beginning here? Well, we're going to see that today by looking at three points, three points that are in our order of worship today. We're going to talk about the commission of David as king. We're going to talk about the confrontation. And then we're going to talk about the challenge that he has. So look at, look at the first uh, section there. It's the paragraph that I just read about all the tribes coming to Hebron, which is basically the capital at that time in Israel. See, when we enter back into this uh, story, after Saul had committed suicide, and all his descendants, we saw, had been killed, there's no one left among Saul's descendants except for one person, a grandson. His name was Mephibosheth, and we're going to see this later, but he was physically in incapable of being able to lead the nation, especially lead the nation, in terms of into battle. And so from now on, David is officially and rightfully, he has assumed reign over all the tribes of Israel. For clearly only he and he alone could have taken the place of Saul at this moment without there being an uprising in Israel. Here's why. See, first of all, the tribes of Israel received his rule over them in, in several ways. First of all, they see, had this phrase, your bone and flesh was. They realized, you're one of us. You're an Israelite just like us. And then also David's role, in, when they look back, of leading the people in battle against the Philistines over and over in Saul's reign. We look back what we talked about last week. People came back from the battlefield. They're like, yeah, Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. They recognized that. And then when they came to knowledge that he had actually been anointed by Saul to be king, at that point they say there's nobody else that is fit or legitimately can claim the throne of Israel. See, this was the second time a representative from Israel had anointed David. We talked about before with Samuel. It's interesting that um, you know he had been anointed all this time during the reign of Samuel, 
Now, and this is the first time at this point, though, that he's received by everybody and received in a public way. I don't want to make too much of this, but this is a big deal uh, sometimes in receiving, especially in congregations and groups and different things like this. As much as you may want to take a leadership role, as much as I may come in and want to be your pastor, at some point, if I'm not received, or other leaders are not received, or teachers are not received by the church community, then, then we need to rethink. Should that person be a leader? Should I be a leader in that way? We can't just simply walk in and proclaim ourselves the leader of the church, and, and people have done this. Others must recognize and receive them. Many, if, if there's ever a time that this body, the church here, decides that they need a different or better leader than, than I am, then it's probably for me to consider leaving uh, this flock. Uh, has it happened yet? Not to my knowledge, unless y'all know something I don't. Uh, you know, I've been in situations like that before where uh, pastors have come like, they're having, they're having a meeting about whether or not they want to keep me as pastor. I said, man, you're more spiritual than I am. I'll be having a meeting and say whether or not you're going to accept my resignation. <laughs> like, I'm not waiting around for that. Uh, anyway, but, but what, what we have here is wholehearted agreement from the people. The harmony here is amazing of what's going on in this nation at this time in Israel. The second thing, look at the confrontation here. Look, look at the next couple of paragraphs. I said, and the king, talking about David, and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. The inhabitants of the land who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will even ward you off. Thinking, David can't come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the middle onward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord of hosts. I'm sorry, for the Lord and the Lord of, and the God of hosts was with him. Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedars and carpenters and masons who built the house of David, or built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. And he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of the people of Israel. So he goes in here. This is Jerusalem. This is the Jerusalem we've always heard of. This is Jerusalem we still hear of today. A lot of the Bible, a lot of talk, even now, centers around Jerusalem. What we're seeing in this passage here is the establishment of Jerusalem as the capital of God's people. Jerusalem was not the capital up until this point. Hebron was. This today's passage is telling us that he made uh, Jerusalem his capital. Now, why would he make Jerusalem the capital of Israel? There's nothing magic about it. Nothing mystical about it. There wasn't angels that were living there or anything like that. All it was is it was just practically a better choice than Hebron as a capital because it's centrally located in, uh, more than Hebron in the Promised Land and it had excellent natural defenses. That's why Jerusalem was established in the first place. Now, how did he get there? It seems that he and his men invaded the same uh, city, and you can read more about the story in this. And by the way, each week, there's a lot of things we can't put in the story. This is a great time to read uh, 2 Samuel if you haven't read it before, because you can follow along and fill in the gaps here. But how did he do it? Apparently, they snuck in, 
climbing up a water shaft to get to the center of the city and kind of a surprise attack. And um, so having taken the city, David would strengthen it further and he called it the city of David in that way. Um, and he, it's interesting there when you look at it because, you know, they were coming in and said, David, we can, we can put our, our weak and our lame people and you still couldn't get in here. They thought, it, that's how the, uh, the natural defense is, how, how strong Jerusalem was as a stronghold in military. But he came up the watershed, sneak attack, took over the city easily, and this is where we are. About a thousand years before David took Jerusalem now, God had promised Abraham that his descendants would inherit the land of the Jebusites. A thousand years that this happened when Abraham was promised, you will have the land that is in, uh, the land, the inherited land of the Jebusites. And now with David's conquering of Israel, I mean, of, of Jerusalem, it's finally fulfilled. Can you imagine waiting a thousand years for a promise to be fulfilled? These people were in it for the long game. We're in it for the short game. If it takes more than a year for something on the national level to happen or the world level to happen, we want to get rid of everybody and we're just in disarray. But here's another thing you have to remember, and you got to think about this. This is very important. David will not always be the king of Israel, and Jerusalem will not always be the capital of God's kingdom. And we're going to talk about that later. The center of God's people after Jesus, and even back then, is not a place, it's not a person, it's God and His Son, Jesus. And we must always remember that. Let's look at Roman numeral 3, the challenge. Verse 17 says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. They've had battles before, but it's like all the Philistines this time are coming up and they're searching for David. But when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephidim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hands? And the Lord said, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hands. And David came to Bel Perazim. And David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of this place is called Bel Perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and their men carried them away. And the Philistines came again. This is the second battle. The Philistines came up again, and they spread out the valley of Rephidim again. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Go around to the rear. Come up against the, them the opposite of the balsam trees. And David did this as the Lord commanded, and struck down the Philistines from Jamar to Gerizah. So David and his armies win these battles decisively. We've seen this almost, we've seen it for an entire book in 1 Samuel. Philistine battle, Philistine battle, Philistine battle, over and over again. Every time that you think they're getting a break, they come at them, the Israelites again. There's two battles here that are significant battles, and it's a severe setback for the Philistines at this point. See, they'd had a lot of victories over Saul. That's why they kept coming back. 
This time it's different. But it's not just different in defeat and victory. That's what we got to look at here. The stark contrast here between Saul and David is not talent. It's not might. It's not uh, wisdom. It's not any of these things other than this. That the new king, <coughs> David, is always seeking God's support. Unlike the old king, Saul, ever did. One of the differences here that we see when David asks God, he says, should I meet the Philistines in battle? The Lord says, I will give them into your hand. Saul, and you need to go back and read this, Saul in his last year, years of reign, in desperation, facing the same Philistines, he actually goes and seeks out a witch, a medium, instead of relying on God for answers. See, the answers in his mind, the answers God was given were either not what he wanted or they weren't good enough. So he found another right to self-justify himself, to do whatever he wanted to. And Saul's done this again and again and again. David at this point has, has come in and said, instead of taking matters in his own hands, he's seeking counsel and advice from God again. This is why Saul, in the end, it just led to disastrous results. Him killing himself, committing suicide on the battlefield. And here David is in a stronghold that the God had given him. See, the most important point today is this. God himself is the main cause of the Israelites' victories. He fights the battle for them. David recognizes that. David is humble before God. He's not going to take the armies of, of, of God's people into war and, and unless the true ruler and the true leader and the true man of battle, the ruler of Israel, God himself, unless he permits it. Nor does he presume, even if God gives him permission to do it, that it will result in victory. David asked him, if not only should I go to battle, but he said, will you allow me to conquer my adversaries and my enemies? But he never assumes that God will, or that he will. See, both questions receive affirmative answers here, giving the king and his soldiers in this moment a great confidence. Certainly, they emerge triumphant, but all credit goes to God. But if it doesn't, God doesn't blame, if it doesn't go right, David never blames God. See, bad leaders blame others. Bad, bad leaders are arrogant. Bad leaders make all the glory for themselves. This is the thing that sets David apart from Alexander the Great and even great men in our history of America that we have received great presidents at different times in the past. The difference is God was with David and David was humble and he sought the wisdom of God and gave him glory for his achievements. David recognized and was great because God made him so. We have to remember that. And if you think in your mind, I don't care who it is, on which side, and what history, and what decade that you think about it in, uh, if you think someone's a great leader and they don't have humility, then you need to change your mind about that leader. They're not as great as you think they are. Which brings us to the question today. What are your heroes? What are my heroes? Who are the leaders throughout the history of the world that you admire the most? Who are the leaders in your mind that you hope get elected because you think they're going to save our nation and our world? What are the characteristics that actually make them great? And are they the characteristics that God himself would say is the measure of greatness? 
pray, pray that God will raise up men and women in our churches and in our world and in our, our nation who are truly, truly great in their lives and submission to God. Not about a political affiliation, not those that, like Saul, look good on paper and look good and win arguments and, and just because they agree with us, but people that would follow like David in a humble reliance with God. Not the superficially great ones in our mind and our world. Let us not be deceived. But most of all, here's what I'm asking today. Pray that we all acknowledge God's role in our lives with Jesus as our own true leader. At the end of the day, he's the only true measure of a leader. Look for him for the wisdom in your decisions. Quit taking matters in your own hands. Quit looking for other people to fill that void that only Jesus can. Consult God first. If you feel defeated today, look to Him. If you have success today, thank Him like David did. But most of all, we've got to remind ourselves that only Jesus is the true leader, Savior, and King that we've all wanted and we all needed. Let's pray. Like I thank you uh, for the words today it's so easy for us to um, look to everybody except for you or for what we need in our lives help us to really know what it means to um, embrace you as the true king the true lover of our souls the true um, person the savior that all the things in your kingdom hinge upon lord without you without your vice without your wisdom we know nothing. Lord, help us to rely on you and not on ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook.